0: Let's pray. Creator God, you hold the whole world in your hands. Some of us in the last semester or the last month experienced parts of the world that we'd never been to before. And we were stretched to think and live differently We grew in our compassion for people who have less. And we grew more content with what we have and realized maybe that we have too much. We saw your church in action all over the place. Whether it was doing simple things like teaching people how to count so they wouldn't get cheated at the market. Or more complicated things like building projects in cities and in neighborhoods. We thank you that your church is active all over the world. And for those of us who stayed right here, we saw the church. We saw it in our professors who were creative and showed us an area that they're interested in and curious about. And we had a glimpse of their passion and their joy. We thank you that at the start of this semester, we get to see all new ways in which you hold this world in your hands. Whether it's by learning the structures of atoms, or whether it's by understanding how trees grow and reproduce, or whether it's by learning new music, or making a new friend, we get to see that your creation goes on and on and on. We thank you for that. We thank you for this community at Calvin. A community that gathers and regathers and is eager to learn about Sabbath and rest and play and feasting. So, thank you for this opportunity for us to grow together in this way. We pray for those in our community who are hurting. We know that there are some who aren't with us because they're fighting off illness or recovering from injury. We pray for John and Michael Thompson, Stephen Lander. We pray your continued healing for Professor Rebecca DeYoung. Thank you that she's been able to teach, and we pray that the effects of her chemotherapy are minimal. And we pray for the things that are hidden, that are unspoken, that people don't know. For those of us who are struggling with eating disorders, or the issues of self-harm, or pornography, or gossip, or depression. We thank you that you are the Lord of our bodies, and our minds, and our souls, and you long to restore us, to make everything new. And in this mean time between what we are and what we will be, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us patience, that you give us the stamina we need, that you give us hope, as you give us friends. So, Lord, we pray today that even before we put our heads on the pillows tonight, that there may be an opportunity for each of us to practice kindness towards someone. And that these things won't be random acts of kindness, but spirit-led and regular and repeated. Help us to get out of our own pain and self-absorption to notice the pain of others. Thank you for this community. We thank you for the board of trustees that met this week and thought and prayed and talked and made decisions. And we pray for them as they adjust now to being back at home. And we pray you continue to help us as we get new board members and bring them on. That these will be men and women of integrity, men and women who love you. I want you to be glorified in this place. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we turn to it now, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will crack open our hearts to the gospel. That this old story will breathe new life into us. That we will go away from this place fed and restored in ways that we didn't even know we needed. And we ask this all through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. I invite you to turn to Matthew 12. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's a gospel. Matthew tells the story of what it was like to be around Jesus. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're looking at Matthew chapter 12, page 792 reading the first 14 verses as we think as a community about Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Suppose one of you has only one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. the Pharisees were pretty sure that they knew how to do Sabbath. They'd been at it for a while. They'd come up with a pretty good system. They knew it inside and out, and they liked it. They liked it. You see, the actual Sabbath rules in the Torah, that say what you're supposed to do and not do, are pretty limited. They're pretty small. Don't uh, kindle fire. Don't collect wood. But, you know, that's really... That's really not good enough because if you really don't want to break Sabbath, you kind of got to buffer those laws with some other laws so you don't even come close to breaking those laws. So the Pharisees came up with a bunch of laws about what you could and you could not do on the Sabbath. Now, the Pharisees generally get a bad rap in the Gospels. But this particular passion, this passion for Sabbath and Sabbath keeping, it comes out of a good place. You see, if you were to go and read all of the prophets in the Old Testament, you would hear that again and again and again, the sin that comes up as the reason why God is angry at them and the reason why he's going to send them into exile is breaking Sabbath. More than any other commandment. He says, look, you're not not keeping Sabbath. You're not remembering the covenant. You're not remembering our relationship. Again and again and again, the prophets say, look, if you don't get this right, you're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna be put into exile. Punishment's gonna come. You're gonna be conquered. And sure enough, that's what happens. They all get taken into exile, Israel and Judah each. They start coming back from exile. And Nehemiah leads a group back from exile. And what's the famous thing Nehemiah did? He built the wall, right? Everybody knows, who knows his story, the big thing Nehemiah did, he comes back to Jerusalem and he builds the wall, but that's only the first four chapters. After that, he does a lot of other things to get the people back in line with their God. And one of the things he does is reintroduce Sabbath. You see, there are these merchants who would come from all the other countries and the other tribes and the other places, and they would come to the gates to buy and sell on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah would meet up at the gate and be like, no, 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 guys, we don't, we don't do that here. No, I'm serious. And they're like, he can't be serious. Everybody buys and sells every day. This is what we do. And so they would camp outside the city gates like, He's gonna come around eventually. And he was like, no, 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 and he closes the city gates and he puts an armed guard at the city gates and he's like, I'm I'm serious, people. And they come back and they camp out again the next week and he goes out and he yells at them. He's like, go away, we are not buying your business. It's the Sabbath day. The kids are sleeping, I'm having a second cup of coffee. Go away, not today. So Nehemiah reestablishes for the people the rules about keeping of Sabbath, and he also reinstates these festivals, and he reinstates the reading of Scripture and the reading of the law, and it becomes this beginning of a community again. Now, that's a few generations away from the Pharisees. And as often happens... The beautiful ideals that Nehemiah had about reestablishing the relationship with God and understanding the covenant promises of God to his people and his people back to God just kind of got boiled down to rules. And the Pharisees liked the rules. So they had a pretty good system for Sabbath rules which they put into place very carefully. Over time, they built up more and more rules just to be sure that no one would break them. They built up rules They said, huh, okay. This is the Sabbath box. There are certain things that belong in the Sabbath box. There are certain things that don't belong in the Sabbath box. They would make everybody get in the Sabbath box. And then they would say things like, don't sit on the stool. Don't touch the rope. It's Sabbath. And from the vantage point of the Sabbath box, they see the disciples plucking grain on the Sabbath. And they go, hey, hey, hey! Uh, 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 no. Get back in the box. That does not belong in the box. Out of the box. Get back in, get in the box. Now, there was a school of interpretation, because the Pharisees were one school of interpretation. There was another school of interpretation that said, if you are walking down the path on a beautiful day and the wheat was ripe and it was warm and you were hungry you could just you could reach over and just take a few kernels and eat it because it's better for you to eat a few kernels than to faint on your way so you just go have a snack it's okay but If you start to do a little more and then a little bit more and then you start like putting it in your pockets and then you like get a pouch and then maybe be a couple baskets, you're working, you're working, you're working. All right, are we clear? So if you just need a little snack and you're hungry, a little peckish, you need something, a few kernels, crunch them down. They even said one hand, just use one hand. That's good. Two hands, a little greedy. No, 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 just one. One hand. And they knew there was this school of thought out there. But it wasn't their school of thought. It wasn't in their box. How do you have your disciples do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Get in the box. Then they go to the synagogue. And they see him looking at that man he has got his hand all withered up. And they see Jesus. They see the hand. They see Jesus. They see the hand. It's like, oh, he's going to do it. They're going to do it right now. And they say, hey, uh, is, it, is it even lawful to cure on the Sabbath? Because there was this other rule, a box rule, that said if somebody's dying, yeah, go on, take care of them. But if it's not life-threatening, you know, they can wait. So if you've fallen off a roof and you broke your femur, you know, not really life-threatening. I know you're in a lot of pain right now, but... Let's see, it's 9 o'clock, you've got, you know, a few hours yet. Just hang on. <laughs> that kind of rule in the box. So, withered hand, life-threatening? No. That's the question they're asking. Are you just going to be all willy-nilly with this healing business? Or are you going keep it, to keep it in the box? You see, the Pharisees were pretty sure they knew what Sabbath was all about. And a lot of times, so do we. You see, some of us grew up in communities where Sabbath was about the box. There were things you could do, and there are things you could not do. Anybody grew up in a community like this? You're like, mm. Could not ride your bicycle, maybe. Could not go swimming, maybe. Could not hang out with your friends, maybe. Had to go to church, not once, but twice, morning and evening, plus catechism and Sunday school, and you have to go to grandma's house after church to have pie and coffee, because that's in the box somewhere. And some of us grew up in a community where it was rigid like that, and there were certain things you could do, and there were certain things you couldn't do. So as soon as we hear anybody talking about Sabbath, all we can see is the box. And we're like, oh, I don't want to go back in the box. Hate the box, don't want to be in the box. So that's the experience of some of us. For others of us, we're new to this whole Sabbath conversation. We don't really get it. People take a day off, like an entire day. How do they get anything done? How do they keep up with things? If I take an entire day off, how are you going to guarantee to me that my grad school application is going to look just as good as everybody's who's working 24-7? If I take an entire day off, how am I supposed to get all of my engineering lab stuff done? If I take an entire day off, how am I going to get my grading done? For the few of you that do that. How am I going to do my internship and my job and my homework and all my stuff if I take a day off? Like, how's that going to work? So we look at the box and we're like, that box looks a little scary to me. That box is a little threatening. I don't believe that if I go in the box, I'm going to come out happy. I think I'm going to go in the box and be anxious the entire time in the box, and I can't wait to get out of the box. We think we've got a pretty good idea about Sabbath. The Pharisees thought they had a pretty good idea about Sabbath until Jesus started talking to them. And Jesus does this really brilliant thing, not surprising, it's Jesus. He takes the argument from the least convincing to the most convincing, and he does it by drawing from three different areas of Jewish sacred texts. He first says, hey, um, I think you've read that story about David. You know, the one with his companions, and they ate the showbread, and they weren't supposed to eat it because they weren't priests, but they still ate it because they were hungry. Remember that story? That's the first thing. And then he says, and also have you read in the law about how the priests who work on Sabbath aren't desecrating Sabbath because they're serving the greater good. They're serving the temple. And then he says something greater than the temple is here, which is an allusion to things that come later. And the third thing he says, which if you don't know what he's talking about, it seems really subtle, but it is just a blow. He says... If you understood what this phrase meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now reread that and you're like, is that a poem? Like, <laughs> is that a lyric from a song of the time? Like what, what's happening there? So Jesus, David's story, the narrative, the writing, the history, the law, And then the prophets, because that last line, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea, as you know, gets a tough job assignment from God. God says, I'd like you to go marry a hooker. And then it gets bad. And... Hosea has to act out in his own life the fact that the people of Israel and the people of Judah have been whoring after other gods, that they've been seeking out all these other relationships, and that the relationship with Yahweh God, the one true God, has been reduced down to rules, reduced down to a checklist. Instead of Acting in obedience out of gratitude for everything that God has done for them. They have compressed it down to a set of rules. And once you are done with the rules and you check them off, you are set to go. And Jesus says, If you knew what this meant, very offensive to the Pharisees who believed that they knew everything that the Old Testament had to say, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, if you get that, you would get what's happening right here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then they go into the synagogue. And there's the man there with a hand. And they see him, and they see the whole setting, and they ask him the setup question. And he comes back at them and says, oh, really? You want to be that person? Another gospel who writes about this, the writer says, Which one of you, which is a way to say, really, is that who you want to be? Which one of you, if you had one sheep, one sheep, and that one sheep fell in a pit on the Sabbath, which one of you wouldn't get that sheep out? You want to be that person who leaves a sheep in a pit? You do not want to be that person. How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? Now, if you're a Pharisee and he says that to you, don't you feel just like, Sheepish? Sorry, bad. (laughs) Bad. 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 But don't you feel in that moment like you'd be ashamed? Like that would be a human response, would be shame. Their response is to get ticked, like layers of anger. Because he has just called them out big and said, You are missing it you are missing what the Sabbath is about. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when someone is hungry on the Sabbath, they should eat. If someone is hurting on the Sabbath, they should be healed. That's what should happen. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And by sacrifice, it's like the empty rituals and rules that sacrifices had become by the time of Hosea. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, and if somebody is hungry, they're going to eat, and if somebody is hurting, they're going to be healed, because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And by saying he's Lord of the Sabbath, he is not only giving a nod to all the Sabbath healings he has already done, and they are many, He is also giving a heads up to the big thing he's going to do on a Sabbath in the new future, which is die, and in the morning after, be raised. Lord of the Sabbath has layers to it that the Pharisees don't even get. They have made the box the box of rules. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the box. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus says, Come in the box. Because we're going to have fun here in the box. Imagine, for example, if Jesus gives you a Sabbath basket (laughs) that stays in the box. And he's like, Come on in the box. Are you hurting? Are you hungry? Are you tired? Oh, come on. This is what I got in the box. Giant pillow. This sit next to you. Of course, Jesus gives snacks in the box. Good snacks, if I can get the lid off. Yeah. What does he have for the Sabbath box? He's a tea bag. He's a gluten-free granola bar, because he loves me. He has a Snickers. And a Milky Way. And a Nestle Crunch. Smarties, peanut m and if you have a peanut allergy, avoid, avoid. <laughs> Moving out of the way, it's a Smarties. <laughs> and not the Canadian Smarties, like the American Smarties. Canadian Smarties are fine, they're fine. We got snacks, right? He's got a book about Sabbath in the Sabbath box. It's a fun book, 24-6 by Matthew Sleeth, total plug. What other fun things does he have in the Sabbath box for us? Bananagrams? Who doesn't want to play Bananagrams? Book by Amy Poehler, right? Massage thingy, right? Sabbath. Snuggly blankie, (laughs) pillow, who wants to get in the box? Yeah, this is the Sabbath box. Jesus is coming in the Sabbath box. We have snacks. We have rest in the Sabbath box. We have snuggly blankets and pillows in the Sabbath box. Don't you want to come in the Sabbath box? Yeah, you do. And what if Jesus' job when you're in the Sabbath box is to stand at the edge of the Sabbath box and be like, "Uh, I'm sorry, she can't see anyone today? I'm sorry. No, 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 no homework today. I'm sorry. No, no homework. Email, no, 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 no. None of that business going on in here. No, this is the Sabbath box. She and I are going to hang out all day. She may take a nap later. We're gonna go for a walk together. She's gonna journal and do stuff. He may play some Xbox, non-violent, non-offensive to anyone at all. (laughs) We're just gonna hang out in the Sabbath box because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And if people are hungry, they should get to eat. And if people are hurting, they should come and be healed. And if people are tired, they should come lie down with a snuggly blanket. Because that's, that's Sabbath. Sabbath is living into the new heaven and the new earth. When the borders of the Sabbath box disappear. And all of the things that make us long for the Sabbath box gone. Pain is gone and sorrow is gone and evil is gone and email is gone. (laughs) Homework is gone. Deadlines are gone. Applications for graduate school are gone. Applications for jobs are gone. One day a week we get to live into that reality. We get to Take a rest in the sabbath box. So if Jesus were to put things in your sabbath basket, what would he put in your sabbath basket? Baking supplies. Baking supplies, yes. Soccer ball. Soccer ball, Devin. nice. What else? Book. Books. Boots. Food, hiking boots. Piano. Ice cream. Piano. Puppies. A movie. What was that? Puppies. Puppies, oh. Puppies <laughs> live in the Sabbath <laughs> box. <laughs> what else? <Pugs>. Hugs. Hugs. <laughs> now what wouldn't go in the Sabbath box? Homework. Homework. <laughs> what? Deadline. Deadlines. no deadlines in the Sabbath box. Laundry. Laundry. What else doesn't go in the Sabbath box? Stress. Stress. Stress-free zone. <laughs> That's why we got puppies. <laughs> So when we think about Sabbath as being a place of delight and rest and restoration, don't you want to get in the box? And for those of us who look at the box and think, you know, love the box, thrilled about the box, love the idea of the box, still have the same workload. (laughs) The man with the withered hand. Think about him for a minute. We don't know how long his hand wasn't working. We don't know if it was born that way or crushed in an accident. We don't know. But we do know that in the culture in which Jesus was living, the culture in which this man was living, how would he have done most of his work? With his hands, right? If he was pulling in nets as a fisherman, if he was pruning trees as somebody who grew figs, if he was a farmer, if he was a tailor, if he was a builder, he needed his hands. Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And what happens to it? It's restored. And what does that make him able to do better than he's been able to do in a long time? Work. Work. Jesus restores his ability to work better than he's ever worked before. Now, for those of you who heard Marva Dawn speak this week, she talked about that, about a really intense time in her life when she was working crazy to try and pass some language exams, and she found out that she did better than others, mostly because having a day off allowed all the stuff she was learning to kind of settle in. And she would go for bicycle rides and walks, and she would take naps, it actually restored her ability to be more productive on the work days. And this is something that's been proved again and again and again. There are lots of secular studies right now that talk about the benefit of one day off a week. It's like we were wired that way or something. It's crazy. <laughs> and they're all, like, they're all like discovering it, like it's a 24-7 world, you got to step back every now and then, it takes time off. One day a week, you should just power down. Where have I heard that before? And they're all showing that you're healthier and happier and more productive. It's like a little gift. It's like a little resurrection. It's like a little heaven and earth right there. So think about what you want in the Sabbath box. And think about as we go through this study together over the next few weeks, from now to spring break, what do you want to keep out of the Sabbath box? One of the other things is that um, when Marva was here, she talked with students on Tuesday night. Some of you were in that group. And one of the students asked the question, does it matter what day we pick? And she said, it really doesn't matter what day you pick as long as you choose a day and you're consistent with a day, which makes a lot of sense. Excel, well, let me tell you this. My Sabbath is on Monday. In fact, it'll start after I leave Loft, and I drive home, and I take out the garbage and the recycling, and I let the dogs out, and when I put on my sweatpants, oh yeah, that's the start of Sabbath. But because I have Sabbath on Mondays, that's very inconvenient for a lot of the people I work with. They know I work on Sunday, they know I work Tuesday through Sunday, they get that, they're accommodating, but it's difficult, it's inconvenient for them. It's inconvenient for my staff, they gotta wait to check in with me on things, it's difficult for any of you who wanna meet with me, and Mondays work well for you, they don't work for me. It's difficult for the president and the vice president because they want to schedule big meetings and I'm not around. Now imagine if everybody had a different day. Everybody had a different Sabbath, everybody was doing things differently, and we'd be like, oh, is Joel free today? Oh, no, it's Sabbath. He's not, he's not coming in today. <coughs> oh, that's right. And we'd have to make accommodations all the time. But if you choose as a household or a dorm floor or a suite or a couple or a friendship group or a campus, to say, this is going to be our day. Then we all get to be in the Sabbath box together at the same time. And your Sabbath box may have friends in it. If you're an introvert, your Sabbath box may have nobody but you and Jesus in it. (laughs) That's totally fine. But Sabbath is supposed to be lived as a communal discipline that we're all doing together. That's why we worship together on Sundays. That's why many of us come from towns or cities that used to be closed on Sunday. Nobody, nothing was open on Sunday. So that everybody could do this together. So as you think about choosing your day, think about choosing your community of people who are gonna help you live the day. Jesus, Is inviting people into the box, not to stand and bide their time until the sun goes down, not to obey a bunch of rules for rules' sake. But he's inviting us in to rest and to be restored and to be resurrected. Matthew wrote a gospel that's very ordered. Some of you have studied it. you paid attention to it. You know there's nothing in Matthew that's not supposed to be right where it is. And just before this discussion about Sabbath and rules and burdens and the box, just before chapter 12 begins, chapter 11 ends, and it says this, Jesus says, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke from me and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Come on in. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that in the ordering of this world, you ordered a Sabbath, a day of ceasing, of resting, of renewing our relationship with you and with each other. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forgive us when we are afraid of Sabbath, when we have no idea how we would get everything done. Forgive us when we don't trust you enough to provide on the other six days so that we can step back on the Sabbath and know that all of our needs are met. Forgive us when we've made it about rules and order and structure and not about a relationship and restoration and resurrection so as a community we pray holy spirit that you stir up in us great imaginings about what it would be like if this was a college that welcomed rest as much as it welcomed work that applauded contentment as much as it applauded achievement thank you being Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus. Be Lord of our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen.